The year was 1905, okay? 1905, when a South African mine worker had an accidental discovery. He was walking through one of the mine shafts there in South Africa in what is called the Premier Mine, and he just happened upon what has turned out to be the largest gem-quality diamond in the world. Originally, the diamond weighed 3,106 carats. That is about 1.3 pounds, ladies. It was named the Cullinan Diamond. It was presented to King Edward VII of England on his, the occasion of his 66th birthday. Edward uh, had the diamond cut, and it was cut into uh, nine large pieces. Can you imagine the gymnologist who had to cut that diamond, right? You've got to put a chisel on that thing and whack it with a hammer, and if you mess up, you now have 1.3 pounds of dusts. But it was cut. And it was cut into nine large pieces. And the, uh, the largest of the nine pieces is known as the Star of Africa. It is the largest pear-shaped diamond in the world. It weighs 530 carats. I have a picture of it here for you, I believe. Yeah, there she be. 530 carat diamond. Yeah, I know, that's it. My wife's looking at her diamond. <laughs> get a, micro, get a, a magnifying glass, honey, and hold it a long way back and you'll get an idea. <laughs> it is the second largest diamond in the world, the Star of Africa. Absolutely gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. And as impressive as that uh, diamond is, and it certainly is impressive, it pales in comparison to the value of a good wife and mother. Can I hear an amen on that, huh? You bet. The book of Proverbs says in Proverbs chapter 31, an excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord she shall be praised. Amen and amen. The influence of a mother on the development and direction of a child is huge. Cannot be underestimated. Mothers generally are the one that spend the majority of time with the children as they are young. They interact with them during the formative years and it gives them an unprecedented opportunity to disciple the next generation in the way of godliness. Motherhood is a very, very noble occupation. 
recognizing this truth, the American poet, 19th century American poet, William Ross Wallace, wrote a poem. It's called, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle is the Hand That Rules the World. The poem goes like this. Blessings on the hand of women. Angels guard its strength and grace. In the palace, cottage, hovel, oh, no matter where the place. Would that never storms assailed it, rainbows ever gently curled. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Infancy is the tender fountain, power may with beauty flow. Mothers first to guide the streamlets, from them souls unresting grow. Grow on for the good or evil, sunshine streamed or evil hurled. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Woman, how divine your mission here upon our natal sod. Keep, oh, keep the young heart open always to the breath of God. All true trophies of the ages are from mother love impearled. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Blessings on the hand of women, fathers, sons, and daughters cry. And the sacred song is mingled with the worship in the sky. Mingles where no tempest darkens, rainbows evermore are hurled. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. There are numerous, numerous biblical examples of godly mothers and the influence that they have on the next generation, a profound influence. We don't have to think too hard to the Old Testament of Hannah. You remember Hannah, she prayed that God would open her womb and grant her a son. And God answered her prayer and gave her Samuel. And she raised that boy in the fear and admonition of the Lord and keeping her vow, turning him over to service in the tabernacle. Samuel was that great prophet who was instrumental in, in bringing in the kingdom to Israel in those days. Or we can think of another New Testament mother by the name of Eunice. Her boy was named Timothy. Paul writes to Timothy and, and he reminds him. He says, I am, I am mindful, 2 Timothy chapter 1, I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, Timothy, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. And then Paul goes on to say to him, he says, From sacred childhood, Timothy, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. From childhood, Timothy, you have known the Scriptures. Or how about Mary? Huh? How about Mary, mother of our Lord? Can you imagine the entrustment for her, the very Son of God. She raised that boy from his infancy in the fear and admonition of the Lord. The Scriptures are very clear. 
Jesus knew his scriptures, right? We find him in Luke's gospel in the temple at a mere 12 years of age, dialoguing with the theologians of Israel. He had been raised in the scriptures, no doubt, by his mother. So this morning, what I want to do is, is I want to briefly, <laughs> briefly survey with you five responsibilities of wives and mothers and the practical impact they can have on their families so that we might celebrate and honor them as the precious gifts of God that they really are. Okay? Five responsibilities of wives and mothers. We're going to have to move through this relatively quickly. But here they are, number one. Homemaker. Number one, homemaker. For this, we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. And Moses' statement there in verse 28, where he writes, And God blessed them, that is Adam and Eve, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And I take you there because I want to remind you that God's creation mandate, God's original words to, to Adam and Eve, those first humans were given to them together. They were given them Together, That is, that they both partake in this creation mandate. They have a role to play. It is not an identical role. It is a, a complementary role, as we'll see soon. But it is a role, a vital role nonetheless. They are together to rule. They are together to subdue. They are together to produce. But each in their own way. For a wife... Her main and primary sphere of responsibility is the home. It is the home. The Scriptures state these things in the clearest and most unequivocal terms. The Apostle Paul, again, writing to uh, Titus in chapter 2 of his letter, he says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips or enslaved to much wine, but teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the Word of God will not be dishonored. Beloved, running a home, and I'm not telling half the congregation anything they don't know, but for the other half of us, running a home is like running a small business. It's like running a small business. There are accounts to manage, assets to buy, Expenses to be controlled, inventory, production, maintenance, vendors, 
customers, and if you'll grant me this, even stockholders of sorts. It is like managing a small business. It's uncommon now, but there was a time when it was actually quite common for most Christian colleges to offer a major in home economics. Home economics. It, it has fallen on hard times. Actually, it's become the butt of a number of jokes, right? How sad. How sad. A home economics degree. What great training. Whether it's done formally in a, in a four-year academic institution or whether it's, it's done on the job in, in an apprenticeship to teach older women, younger women how to maintain a home, how to fulfill one of these primary responsibilities that come to her from God. I mean, typically it is mom who runs the home, isn't it, gentlemen? It is mom who runs the home. And in order to do a good job of it, she needs to be industrious and she needs to be savvy. Again, hear Solomon's words in the Proverbs in chapter 31. He says that she is like a merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Wow. What a job description, huh? Mom sets the temple for the home. Mom sets the temple from the home. Mom sets the aroma of the home. Is the home to be organized or chaotic? Mom has a huge role to play in that. Will the home be hospitable or cold? Peaceful or unsettled? A place you want to come or a place you just as soon stay away from? Huh? Mom has a big, big part to play in these things. First, responsibility, homemaker, homemaker. Second responsibility, second responsibility, teammate. Second responsibility, teammate. I turn you to Genesis chapter 2. These early chapters of Genesis are so instructive, so instructive. Chapter 2 and verse 18. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable or corresponding for him. Out of the ground. The Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. 
The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he, that is God, took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which she had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother. What reason? For the reason that he needs to have a helper suitable for him. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Woman, made from man, made for man. To be a teammate, to be a support for her husband in his ambitions, to be his most loyal confidant, to be his cheerleader, to be his friend. Her strengths to complement his, that together they will be stronger than they could possibly be apart. Together, a team, a, a formidable team for life and ministry. Now, how does it work out? Not the same in every home, to be sure. The principles are universal and apply to all marriages. These are, this is an institution of God. This has been created by God in the beginning. But the details, how it works out, are, are subject to the understanding as worked out in an individual home, just exactly how the team works. I don't believe there's any two marriages that are identical. That's not the point. The point is that, that foundationally, it is a together, a one flesh relationship. Man can't do it by himself. Listen, guys, if you know it's good for you, you know what I'm saying, right? Don't be a fool. It's a rare man indeed, a very rare man indeed, who does not sense his need for a woman, for a wife, for one corresponding to him, one called of God to come alongside him, that together they partner in life and ministry. It is a rare man indeed. The advantage of a wife, nothing like it. Homemaker, teammate, third, nurturer, nurturer. Chapter 3 of Genesis and verse 20. 
Now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. He called her name Eve. Her name means life. Her name means life. To be a mother, to, to, to be a wife is, is to be completely and intimately connected to and committed to children. It's fundamental to what it means. It's a life of sacrifice, is it not, ladies? It is a life of, of sacrifice that, that begins with conception and, and runs through pregnancy and labor and delivery, and you're just getting started. Right? You bring that package home from the hospital. I can remember when our oldest was born, and, and I turned her every which way but loose, and there were no directions anywhere. Not on the box, not on the bottoms of the feet, nothing. Mom knows the sacrifice of children. Mom also knows that it doesn't matter how old the children get, that the concern, the care, it never goes away. Never goes away. Dads don't get it. Dads don't get it. Not in the same way. It's not that fathers are not concerned for their children. They are. But dads will never come to understand the depth of concern, the level of joy and, and heartache that children can bring to their mom. A mother's life is inexplicably bound with her children. Paul draws on this common knowledge when he writes in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7, and he, he's writing to the, to the young church at Thessalonica, to the believers there, and, he, and he's reminding them of his time with them and his, his ministry among them and his care and his concern for the church. And he says, We prove to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. That is, a, that is a picture that everybody can understand. Paul says, we minister to you believers just like a mom caring for her nursing child. It's a picture of intimacy. It's a, it's a picture of sacrifice. It's a, a picture of concern and giving and life-sustaining. Wonderful, wonderful picture. The early church understood the, the connection between being a, a mother and, and raising children. And they, and they connected these things together as, as a mark of what, what it meant to be a God-fearing woman. That is, that, that those who, who raised their children and did a good job with it and gave themselves to it and, and understood the entrustment that it is, were, were manifesting piety in their lives. 
someday if they become widows and in a place where they're unable to care for themselves. Paul says, for, for these women who have, who have given themselves to this God-glorifying task, the church is obligated to come alongside and, and care for them financially for the, for the rest of their days. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, Paul's instructions to the church at Ephesus as to who of among the widows qualifies for the ongoing financial support of the people of God. And he says, let a widow be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old. Having been the wife of one man, that is, having given herself to her husband in marriage, having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. It is a mark of the people of God for, them, for women to give themselves to the next generation. Now there are some women, to be sure, who know not the joy of holding their own child, but instead the, the pain of empty arms. It's a deep, deep sorrow. Again, something a man will never know and never understand. And perhaps for some of you, even this morning, you know that pain right now. And what I would say to you is, is that there, there is a place for you too. There, there are many spiritual orphans among the people of God. There is a place to come alongside them and to, and to be that spiritual mother to them, to, to nurture them and to care for them and to, and to pour yourself even into them. You're not on the sidelines. There's a place for you among the people of God. Nurturer, nurturer. Fourth, counselor, counselor. So we have homemaker, teammate, nurturer, fourth, counselor, counselor. Again, we go to Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 26, where Solomon writes, She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and that teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Well, in order, ladies, to, to open your mouth in wisdom, it is obvious that one must fill thy heart with the Word of God, the source of all true wisdom. But guys, let me just say this about as clearly as I can. Are you ready? If you do not seek your wife's advice, you are an idiot. Okay? How's that? Is that clear? If you do not seek your wife's advice, you are a brick. You are, you are thicker than a brick. You have spurned God's good gift to you. The issues of life, 
the issues of ministry, the issues of business, whatever the context in which you find yourself, to, to turn away and to, and to stiff arm God's good gift to you, to refuse her input to you, how dumb can you be? And yet we're susceptible to that very thing. Listen, nobody knows you better than your wife. Nobody. And she still loves you. Okay? I mean, maybe I should, I'll, I'll accept that. Christ knows you better. And he loves you perfectly. But second to Christ, no one knows you better than your wife. And you know what? She still loves you. She, she's seen you when you got bad hair. She's seen you when you got bad breath. She's seen you when you got B.O. And I'm just getting started. You know what I'm saying? And she loves you and she is committed to you. She wants the best for you. She is committed to your success. And yet we would ignore her or turn her off. Now listen, she may not always be right. Okay, Quick to grant that. She may not always be right, but, but she's always worth listening to. Always worth listening to. The context of children, mom is the primary spiritual counselor of the next generation. Dads take care of the big stuff. Like whether we're going to go to war, you know, in the Middle East. Those are the kind of decisions we make. Mom handles all the rest of it. No, I mean, I'm a little kidding here, but I mean, dads lay down principles in their home, hopefully. But, but, the, but the details of how it works out often fall to mom. She's the one who, who works out the details of the weighty principles inside the home. She's the, she's the one who, who is passing on the family identity. I mean, after all, she's the one who is spending the bulk of the time during these formative years. She's the one. She's the one who helps the children develop character, not become a character, but, but to develop character. She's the one who teaches the children manners, and it's a good thing she does, because if it was up to dad to teach manners, we'd be in trouble. She's the one who teaches skills to her children. She's often the one who, who is there as there is a growing, developing spiritual awareness among the children. Many times it's mom who hears about the, the rough day at school, right? It's mom who, who hears about the neighborhood bully first. Dad says, well, just get a stick and hit him. You know, that's kind of dad's answer. Just go get a big stick and hit him. Mom's a little more nuanced. It's mom who brings that gentle wisdom alongside of the situation. She's a counselor. Words of wisdom are on her lips. Homemaker, teammate, nurturer, counselor, Number five, lover. Number five, lover. Primary responsibilities 
for a wife and a mother. Again, the scriptures are clear. The Apostle Paul speaks in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. He says, Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, but because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. And the husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. And then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. The sexual relationship is God's good gift to the human race. It is his idea. He's the one who designed it into that first marriage. We, we read it in Genesis chapter 2. They were both naked and were not ashamed. There was nothing to be ashamed of. And listen to me, because God's created sex, it's his idea, he has the right to regulate it and define it. And he has done exactly that. The sexual relationship between a man and a woman belongs in one place and one place only, and that is within the covenant bounds of marriage. Nowhere else. Nowhere else. But within marriage, the, the gift of marriage, within that covenant relationship of marriage, it is a wonderful and good gift of God to be enjoyed freely and without shame. Scriptures talk about the marriage covenant and, and they describe it as a, as a garden with high walls in which lie pleasures and delights. The Song of Solomon, you know, that's that section in the Bible that is never preached on in church, right? It was a series on Song of Solomon. That would be interesting, huh? Preach it, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's the place the kids all want to read when mom and dad aren't looking, but they don't know what they're reading. <laughs> Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 12. It's, it's speaking of the, the secret garden, and it, and it talks of the husband as the tender gardener, and it, and it talks about his wife as a place of beauty and joy. And it says, a garden locked is my sister, my bride. A, a rock garden locked, a, a spring sealed up. That's before you get married. After you get married, chapter 5, verse 1. I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh along with my balsam. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk of my wine and my, will, my milk. Eat, friends, drink, and imbibe deeply, O lovers. See, the, the key to the gate of the garden is marriage. Is marriage. Well, how does this all relate to motherhood? Well, I think it relates to motherhood this way. Moms, you have a primary and an important responsibility to your children to be sure. But if the responsibility to your children takes over from your responsibility to your husband, 
you're out of balance. You're out of balance. You were a, for, a family when you came together in marriage before children came. You will be a family after they leave. I'm on the other side of it now, and I tell you, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Not like a second honeymoon, except you're not dumb. The kids come for a, a while, and, you know, it could be a long while. And for, sometimes it seems like it's an in, you know, interminable period of time. But anyway, they will leave. They will leave. They will leave. Hey, you know what? You know your children are, like, watching you? You know that? Do you know your children learn about marriage and sexuality and things like that by watching mom and dad? More is uh, caught than is taught. The, the behaviors, the attitudes, the, the, the kindness, the tenderness, all these things that, that characterize or should characterize a, a husband-wife relationship. Those kids are watching. And they're forming opinions and impressions about what it's all about. Don't ever let the responsibilities of being a mom and caring for your children crowd out your responsibilities and privilege to be a wife and a lover to your husband. Okay? All right. So what do we do with this? Well, let's, um, let's see if we can apply some principles. See if we can apply some of these principles. And so I've got, a, I've got a list. Some people love lists. Okay? For those of you who love lists, this sermon is right up your alley. Okay? I'm going to give you a list. I only give it to you as suggestions. These are, these are not uh, uh, necessarily mandates. They're, they're an attempt to make practical application of these deep principles. So 20 ways a mother can, can positively influence their children. Let's just focus it there. It's Mother's Day. Okay? 20 ways. So here they are. I'm going to give them to you pretty quickly. Number one, pray for your children early and often. Salvation is of the Lord, the Scripture teaches. Beseech the God of heaven to be merciful for your children. Pray for them. Pray for them regularly. Pray for them often. Pray for them early. Carol and I are of the conviction to, of our need to, to pray for our grandchildren even before they're conceived. That God might have mercy on their soul. Pray for your children. Secondly, read to them. Read to your children. Read to them while they're young. Help to instill in them a, a love for reading. Why? Because God has chosen to communicate to mankind through a book. Through a book. Why in the world would we send such a, such a uh, choice young servant of God halfway across the world to live in a jungle, to learn a language, and so she can put the Word of God into the heart language of those people? 
Christians have always been at the forefront of education for a very simple reason, because they understand the importance of being able to read the Scriptures. So read to your children. Give them a love to read, and, and especially read to them Bible stories. Don't rely on the Sunday schools to do all of that. Read to them from the Scriptures and, and make application at their level. Third, teach them the songs and hymns of the faith. Sing to your children. Some sing better than others, but it doesn't matter. Teach your children to sing. Teach them to love to sing. Four, memorize the Word of God with them. Memorize the Word of God with them. Five, review their Sunday school lesson with them. You know, they, they bring home the papers. Mommy, this is for you. And it's like a stick figure drawn with an orange crayon, you know. But go over the lesson with them. What did you learn today? What did you learn in Sunday school? Jesus. Don't, don't let it go with that short answer, right? What did you learn about Jesus? Review their Sunday school lessons with them. Reinforce what those teachers are, are teaching. Six, share the gospel with them. Share the gospel with your children regularly, age appropriately. There's never a time to give up on that. Continue to share the gospel with them. The reality that, that they were born in sin without hope before a holy God. That God in His love and mercy and grace sent His own Son into the world to be a substitute, to die on that cross, not for his sin, but, but for the sin of his people. Help your children to, to see that, when, that when, they, when they mess up. Help them to see where sin has been part of that. Help them to see the rebellion of their own heart. Point them to Christ. It's the only hope, the only solution. Share the gospel with your children. Seven, point them to the Scriptures for the answers to life's problems. Not Oprah. To the Scriptures. The Scriptures for the answers to life's problems. Teach them how to, to principalize the Word of God in their own lives. Eight, teach them self-control. Teach them self-control by, by having them wait for meals. Have them wait to get attention. Have them wait for a toy. What, you know what? Waiting is a good thing. It's a good thing. And I hate it. <laughs> and so do you. But it's a good thing. It's a good thing to learn to wait on the Lord. So teach your children to learn to wait. Eight or nine, rather. Teach them to respect. Teach them to respect by speaking lovely, lovingly and respectfully of others, particularly their father. Speak respectfully of your husband, and your children will learn to respect their father as well. Ten. Don't make the children the center of your life. Okay? Do not make the children the center of your life. There, there is a danger here of idolatry within the Christian church, of, of uh, 
spending so much time, energy, and focus on children that, that we have forgotten other things. Children are welcome additions to the family. Mom, your husband is your first obligation. He was there before the children came. He'll be there after the children leave. Right? Make sure you got something left over at the end of the day when dad comes home. About to get myself in trouble, but it hasn't stopped me before. So here it is. A little makeup at the end of the day before dad gets home. Not a bad idea. Okay? Not a bad idea. Pays dividends. Just saying. Never, under, never undermine your husband's authority. What number is that? That's uh, 11. Never undermine your husband's authority by disagreeing with him publicly in front of your children. Keep your disagreements private. That's what bedrooms are for with locked doors. That's what date nights, unfortunately, can become. <laughs> but work it out privately, right? Together you are a united front. Otherwise, those little rascals, they will divide and conquer every single time. Every time. Twelve. Watch out for too many children's commitments. Okay, that's sort of a, maybe that should have been a sub-point of... Uh, Number 10, but watch out for too many children's commitments. What am I talking about? I'm talking about things like sports and music and, and dance and gymnastics and parties and theater and then, and, and, right, until the family's running ragged, chasing children everywhere. Right? There's a place for all of this to be sure, but, but just be careful. Watch out, these things. 13, make the atmosphere of your house a place where your children and their friends want to be. Right? Make, it a, make it a good place where the neighborhood kids want to come and play. You're worried about your children you know, playing in somebody else's house? Resolve it. Get them to come to your house. How do you get them to come to your house? Make brownies. It's a very simple strategy. Cookies or brownies will bring the children. And then they'll want to be in your house, and then you can have oversight of their playmates. Okay? Fourteen. Prepare for and insist upon the sacredness. I call it the family dinner hour. Different homes work it out in different ways. But, but there ought to be a time, I believe, in which the family is together, eating together and conversing together and connecting together as a family. Our society is so fragmented, and it's easy when they're young. It's harder as they get older. But it's a fight worth having. Have a time when you get together. Connect with each other. Talk about life. Okay? Don't have the TV on while you're eating. Right? But together, talk. Fifteen. Moms, don't baby your sons. Okay? Moms, do not baby your sons. Let them try and fail. Let them try and fail. Encourage them to, to grow into manhood, to, to, uh, to assume their God-given responsibilities as a, as a protector, as a provider. They need to grow up to be men, not just boys 
who are chronologically old. Okay? It's a real problem in our society. Okay? Encourage your son to grow up to be a man. 16. Teach your daughters to guard their heart and to not to give them away lightly. Teach the daughter to guard her heart. When it came to dating, I told my girls, I said, if someone asks you if they can take you out on a date, you say to them, if my dad says it's okay, that's fine with me. Here's his number. Give him a call. Okay? Takes a brave man to call me. Discipline your daughters. Disciple your daughters with regard to modesty and purity. Okay, Mom, teach your children, teach your daughters what it means to be pure of heart and pure of dress. 18, teach them to love and respect their future husband by insisting that they love and respect yours. Okay? Two more. 19, prepare them for marriage by giving them a realistic, non-storybook view of marriage. Okay? Give them a realistic, non-storybook view of marriage. Help your daughter to be ready for marriage. Help your sons to be ready for marriage. And finally, and this goes to both moms and dads, transition, transition over time from lawgiver to guardian to coach to friend. It's a blessed thing. It's a blessed thing. Let's pray. May God give wisdom in the application of his word. Father, thank you. Thank you for our mothers. Thank you for the sacrifice they have made. Our Father, even those who, who perhaps their mothers weren't all that they could have been, perhaps the memory of mom contains some serious pain. I pray that on this day, even for them, they could, they could look back with a thankful heart for this woman that has brought them into the world. And Father, for those whose moms have have really worked at it and, and have sacrificed and have given themselves. How blessed we are. Father, may our hearts be filled with gratitude as we recognize the tremendous sacrifice that they have made, the impact they've had in our lives. Our Father, we, we thank you for spiritual mothers, for, for those ladies, Christian ladies, who have, who have spoken into our lives along the way taking an interest in us, whether they be Sunday school teachers or Awana workers or, or children's Bible club workers or school teachers or whatever the situation. Our Father, how we thank you for them too. But Lord, we are a people who are so blessed. May you help us to recognize that. And Father, may we be grateful, most importantly, because you have lavished us with the love of your Son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.